Oh Lord, uh, we are here because we need you. Our, our, we, are, we are lost without you, but you are our, our guide, you are our hope, you are our life, both in this life and the life to come. And so Lord, we pray that today you will allow us to, to be more and more your people, people who live according to God's kingdom and not the ways of the world. And Lord, maybe there's no place that this is needed more than in this, this topic today. So Lord, teach us uh, and then help us to, to let it live in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, last week our topic was enough time and I handed out, we handed out this, this sheet, had a time tracker on it where you're invited to track uh, maybe up to five activities that you want to keep track of, maybe some time stealers and some restorative practices. And I'm, did anybody do it? Some of you did? A little bit? All right, here's, here's my thought. Uh, I'm wondering if there's people here who would like to share something about their experience, what you learned or maybe some surprise that happened to you. Now, I really, I'm not saying, you know, share with us everything that happened in your week or the details of the specifics, but more about what you learned. More about what surprise, or maybe a surprise that came to you from, from kind of reflecting on, on tracking those particular things in your week. So I'm looking at who would like to share, just kind of a minute or less. I know you're there. And uh, so I'm just kind of looking at, all right, we've got one to start it off here. Bruce. Hi. So one of the things that I decided that I was going to spend less time doing was spending time on social media. And the Lord helped me out with reminders because there's something wrong with my phone. It's eating through battery power faster than it should. So, you know, he kind of helped me out with that reminder. And since I'm on call and I have to have my phone working, it's like I would reach for my phone. It's like, oh, I cannot look at social media right now because I have to have my phone working for work. So oh, yeah. I would put it away and um, was able to spend less time on social media. So, so you think that God was kind of giving you a little boost or a little kick or something? to A little help. A little help. Very good. Thank you. Who else wants to share something about what you learned? or some surprise that came to you in this experience. All right, now. I can torture you this way, can't I? Just <laughs> staring you down until someone bends. All right, we got one more. I guess I probably realized this a long time ago, but when my first wife was sick with leukemia, I was also coaching two soccer teams at the same time and uh, on a couple other committees, and somehow or another it all got done. And today I look back and say, how did I ever get that done? So I, what I realize is that there's always time to do what you need to do if you have the right priorities. Yeah, very good. Okay, thank you all very much, and thank you especially Dave and Bruce for sharing today. Thank you. Now, now, today's topic might be the most challenging one of the three in this, in this series on finding your balance, and that's enough money. How do we find our balance when it comes to money? 
earlier this summer, retired Yankees shortstop Derek Jeter uh, was wondering if he had enough money. Oh, poor Derek, you know. I, I, you see, he was trying to buy the Miami Marlins. And I, I read on Friday that, that Jeter and his investors had finally come up with the money they needed. They had come up with enough, $1.2 billion. Thursday, I, I posted this question on Facebook. If you suddenly had enough money, what would you start doing differently? If you suddenly had enough money, what would you start doing differently? I received 45 comments. Wow. You know, I guess I'd never posted anything that interesting before. <laughs> you know, until then. Uh, so for some, enough money meant enough to do something like retire or travel. Uh, many hoped for enough so that they could give to their favorite charities or ministries. And some realized that this whole idea of having enough money was a trap. For example, one, wrote, one person wrote, from Faith Westwood wrote this, Enough is never enough. So I need to reassess what I do with what God has blessed me with and stop worrying about getting enough. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10 offers this wisdom. Uh, and I'll put it up here on the screen and you read the words in purple. Got it? Okay. Whoever loves money, whoever loves wealth, Makes you think, doesn't it? Throughout the Bible, we learn that the love of money is idolatry. It's, a, it's, a, it's our golden calf of our day. Uh, but you know what I also find is that nobody looks in the mirror and says, you idol worshiper. Nobody looks in the mirror and says, you love money and possessions, don't you? So since that's not likely to happen... Um, I have here nine statements for us to think about, okay? And I want you to know that some of them might make you a bit uncomfortable. I get into debt because of overspending. I resist giving generously. I use possessions to show off. I don't budget my spending. I get into conflicts over money. I have no realistic plan to get out of debt. I consider it my money, not God's money. I compare what I have to what others have. I never seem to be content with what I have. And some of you, as I was going through that list, in your mind you're going, check, check, check. And some of you, by the grace of God, have slain this dragon and none of those statements are currently true of you. And that gives hope for the rest of us. Now, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to invite you to turn to someone next to you. Could be uh, somebody you know really well or a stranger. Uh, but, you know, just say, you know, here's one of these that hits home for me. Uh, now, no need to give any details. I know this is really personal stuff. But which one hits home for you or it used to or it has the potential to? Um, 
So I'm going to give you a minute. If you don't want to do this, obviously you don't have to. But just turn to someone and say, this one kind of hits home with me. So I'm going to give you a minute. Go. Okay, well, I hope you had some good uh, conversation, reflection there. And you know, if even one of these statements is true for you, then I want to suggest that this is a spiritual issue. Because you were not made to love money. You were made to love God and love people. But we mess it up, don't we? And we've all done it. And Jesus warned us, he said, you cannot love both God and money. Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 12, starting with verse 13. And it's my fault, there's no page number on the slide, but I'll give it to you. It's 1043, starts on 1043, and then quickly goes over to the next page. So in this passage, Jesus is asked to settle a family dispute. And he doesn't want to get into the middle of this. You know, it's kind of like, this is not my job. It's not why I'm here. So in verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother, <laughs> tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Well, that's the job of the oldest brother. That's what he's supposed to do. And, you know, father died. You're supposed to take care of this. He's not doing it. Family conflict over money. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah. Verse 15, then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And now read the rest of the verse with me, would you? Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. If you're keeping score by getting more, you're always going to lose. If you're keeping score by getting more, that's greed, and greed is idolatry. And let me tell you, you were made for so much more than keeping score this way. Jesus then tells the parable that uh, we heard earlier uh, that LaVon read for us. A, a certain businessman was, was blessed with a, you know, a bumper crop, a booming profits. And he asked himself, hmm, what shall I do? Kind of like the... the question on Facebook um, if you suddenly had enough money what would you start doing differently now I can tell you that this guy was not like Job in the Bible anybody remember Job yeah uh, Job when he when he had all this wealth he, he, he took in orphans and he, he, he looked after widows uh, he took fleece from his own sheep and made clothing for those who didn't have enough and were cold even his servants commented how fair and generous he was to them. But the guy in Jesus' parable isn't like that. He thinks only of himself. 
Another piece that's absent from this picture is that the Israelites had several laws to help provide for the poor. Uh, it was really revolutionary stuff in this age. And so here are two of the laws that they had. First, farmers were to leave the grain on the edges of their fields untouched. And then second, they were not to glean their fields after harvesting. And gleaning is when you go back and you pick up the stray straws of stalks of grain that were missed the first time. Uh, so the edges and the gleanings were for the poor to gather. And I can't help but think that this man's abundance is partly because he gave no provision for the poor. And he made plans to retire early, live in luxury. And that very night that he made those plans, you know what happened? He died. He died alone. Rich by the world's scorecard, but a beggar in the ways of God. John Wesley as many of you know, was the founder of the Methodist movement, which was really a renewal movement in the 1700s. And one of his famous teaching uh, sermons was on money. And in this message, he had three points. Here they are. Gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. So, folks, it's not a sin to make money. Do it. Make all you can. Gain all you can. Do it fairly. Do it legally. Do it in a way that would honor Jesus. Uh, but gain all you can. Secondly, save all you can. Don't spend frivolously. Don't buy more than you need. Be consciously frugal. And then give all you can. Let generosity become the mark of your character as a deep, daring, daily disciple. So give to those in need. Give to care for creation. Give to, to bless the gospel of Christ. Give freely, give extravagantly, give sacrificially, give joyfully. You know, for Tricia and me, one of the ways that we've learned to always uh, have the mentality of enough is to discipline ourselves to live on no more than 90% of our, our net income. And I know this, is, this sounds counterintuitive and some of you are thinking well I don't have enough with a hundred percent how can I live on 90 percent and maybe for some of you you're genuinely in that spot uh, but I can tell you that for years uh, there, there were a number of years for Trish and I that to do that um, was a huge challenge for us but it forced us to be disciplined more than we would have it also helped us, I think, to become more grateful. And we learned to love to give. Now, living on 90% or less has never been easy. It's meant buying an older car when we could afford a newer one. It's meant living in a smaller house when we could afford one that's a bit larger. It's meant holding off on purchases when we really would like to get it right away it's mean uh, going on creatively inexpensive date night in other words I'm cheap okay uh, it's meant Christmas shopping with money we had saved rather than pulling out the plastic let me tell you there is great freedom in living on 90% or less you are no longer a victim 
And I'm sure some of you right now are wondering, what planet is this guy from? And actually, it's worse than that. I mean, I didn't do this for a lot of years, but now what I recommend is, is to try to come to the point where you can live on 80% or less, give away at least 10%, save at least 10%. It may take a while to get there, but if you whittle down your debts and if you trim away expenses and you boost your income whenever possible, I think it'll happen. The sooner the better. Now, I'd like to bring up... Uh, Katie Snyder and Jim Kuntz. Are they? Oh, yeah, right here. Now, uh, Katie and Jim serve as facilitators, leaders for our Financial Peace University classes that we have here at Faith Westwood. And I think there's information about that in your bulletin about when they start and, and what's all, a little bit about what's involved. And so, uh, Jim and Katie, you first, you know, before you were leading these sessions, classes, um, you know, but before that, you actually took it, Financial Peace University. So um, how, from that experience, how did you begin to think about money differently than before? I grew up in a house that debt was unacceptable. My debt? Uh -huh. Debt. Mm -hmm. My folks didn't really have it. They taught us to avoid the plastic. And as a headstrong teenager in early 20-something, I did not heed that warning. I had a lot of debt. And it was scary. And I lived, as someone recently said, crisis to crisis. Yeah. But it taught me to be, when I took the class, and when I started to learn about the fact that God has a plan for us with our finances. I separated the two. It taught me to be intentional. Mm. And it opened up a lot of doors for me to continue to do weird, quirky, fun, silly things that I like to do because I was intentional about the rest. Okay. Very good. Thank you. Jim, what are your thoughts? How did it change the way you think about money? I would say for uh, just my wife, Amy, and I, of kind of how it changed for us is about how we think about, about money is that we don't think about money. And I do not mean that from an arrogant standpoint, um, that we're billionaires or millionaires. We're not. Um, I would consider us in the class of 20 years. And what I mean by that is if I were to walk out of church today and lose $20, it's, it's not going to cripple our family. We're going we're gonna to be okay. Um, but we have been very intentional about how we, how we plan um, with our money. Um, we've got a couple kids and, and things that we try to teach them. So we, tr we truly, since budgeting and um, taking financial peace, it, is, it has been a mind ease for uh, my wife, Amy, and I. Yeah. Now, you know, one thing I think happens when we're always scrambling and feeling like there's never enough, we have this mentality of scarcity. So can you describe, either one of you, what that's like when, when you feel like this mentality of scarcity or never enough? It's terrifying. It's terrifying. How do I put a roof over my children's head? How do I feed them? How do I make sure that they get the best of everything? It's terrifying, but when you flip the script and you put a plan in place, 
it's still terrifying, it's still overwhelming, but it's less because we all have this, this need to control. It does give you some control back, but it also allows you to give some of that back to God. Yeah. I recently read an article, um, and, and I see it every now and then because I, I try to stay up to date with, with leading Dave's class, and, and one of the articles I read is that 70% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Um, you, you know, at one time I was in, I was in that boat, and it, it's, it's very stressful. It's stressful on the family. Um, it's, it's, it's stressful on, the, on everything in life. It's stressful on work of what you're trying to look for. Um, and since changing the mentality of knowing where your money is going and, and creating a budget, it, it's, it's a freedom, it's, it's a relief. It's, it's a relief the first time that your uh, car, something happens with your car and you're able to pay for it in cash and you just walk away and say, oh, that, that makes you feel better that you're not paying Discover. Um, but it's, when, you, when you think of it that way, it is, uh, it's, a lot better, it's a lot better way and it's, and it's freedom for my wife and my family and I. Um, Sometimes people look at me funny, and I always go back to, the, to Dave Ramsey's quote is, uh, um, help me out, Monty. You always say it. Live like, <laughs> live like no one else so you can live like no one else. Live like so, no one else now so you can live, live like, like no, no one, one else. else later. And uh, I, I think of that all the time, and uh, Monty and I, we go back and forth, and I'll see him in the hall here at church, and, and, uh, and we'll say that. And people look at me and, and say, "Hey, you know, why are you not, you know, why are you not doing this or why are you not doing that?" Um, and it's just because we've we've we are very intentional with kind of some of the things that uh, that we do with our with our funds. Yeah, you know, through Financial Peace University, I think both of you learned budgeting and became believers in in budgeting. How did that change things for you? Well, I still screw up <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Uh, but what it gave me is a tool to go back to every time. Yeah. Um, I do a budget. I keep it on a spreadsheet. I'm a nerd. Um, but I screw up. It, it happens. We're human. And I think that God knows I'm going to keep screwing up. But I have a tool now that I can settle down. I can work through an issue instead of a crisis. Yeah. And I would, for the thing I learned most about budgeting um, that my wife and I did is, is you, again, I'm going to go back to the word, you're very intentional with your money. You're, you're putting it aside. You know where every dollar is going. Um, and it's amazing to see where your money goes. Um, you know, there's, you can see where if it's going out to fast food, you can see where, you know, if it's, if it's going to things that maybe aren't, aren't needed. It makes you really look at where the, your funds are going and helps you redirect. Um, to us, when we first started doing it, it felt like, it felt like we got a pay raise and we didn't make, we didn't make a dime different um, from, from one week to the next. Yeah. But we saw what, how we set aside our money and, uh, and it felt like we had a pay raise just from how we did it. Yeah, and of course, one thing too for you and Amy is that you're approaching your money now from a, because of budgeting from a partnership point of view rather than an adversarial point of view. Yeah, and the thing I will say about that as well with budgeting is it's, you know, it's good for my wife and I, but you don't have to, you don't, budgeting isn't just for married people. Um, budgeting's for everybody, but it's, you know, it's, there's not an age group for it either. Um, you know, we've got a 10-year-old, um, and you can go up to 112. 
budgeting, budgeting is there, and, and some of the things that you learn from it, um, it's, it's very powerful, and it is a behavior. If, uh, if budgeting was a mathematical equation, we'd all be ahead somewhere in life, but it's not. It's an intentional behavior that you do with your, with your funds um, that makes it really happen. Okay, I want to ask now then, um, we got some people who are interested out here. Um, when is it happening? How do I sign up? What do I do? It's the first Sunday after Labor Day weekend. I believe that would be September 10th. 10th. Mm -hmm. And there, in your bulletin, there is a, there's my email address and my phone number, or there's a link that you can just type in and sign up. And if you sign up, the kit is the only cost to you. If the cost is prohibitive, please contact us anyway. Yeah. Um, but when you sign up and you order the kit, by the way, when you register, it's a little bit cheaper when you buy the kit as you register. Okay. I, I'm cheap. So, so. you're going to be the facilitator leader for right. this, right. And, and I know Jim's going to come I've in got and help some, at times. I've got so. some uh, celebrity okay. appearances. Okay, very good. <laughs> All right, thank you very much, both of you. You know, my, my first year as a pastor, um, it was the first time that I got a year-round salary. Whoa, what a great deal, you know? Instead of being a, a poor uh, student, uh, we had a little more money to do things, like go out to a movie. It was wonderful. And, and, and the church did not take withholdings from my paycheck. I was expected to do that myself, you know, to set aside money, to pay my income taxes. Well, come April 15th, I discovered that we had not saved enough. Not nearly enough. So that began a year of really scrimping to, to catch up. And that's when we first began budgeting. Especially if we were going to live, you know, keep up this commitment that we had made to live on the 90%. So... And, and as, uh, you know, Katie was saying, and I would say it too, I, I have failed a budget many, many, many times. I can't count how many times that I've had to start over. But we keep at it. We keep going back. Even now, I st we still tweak the budget twice a month. We, I know we're kind of old school this way, but, but Trish and I, we, we take out cash for groceries twice a month uh, we uh we take out we take out cash for haircuts uh from the time that our kids were in middle uh, elementary through high school we gave them a monthly allowance for clothes kind of like well you can spend it on candy if you want but you're, this is what you're getting you know uh twice a month trish and i still get cash for spending money and part of that goes for date night so one Friday she pays the next Friday I pay and you know at this stage in our lives we would not have to be that diligent about our budgeting you give us a, you give me a good salary I'm worth it <laughs> and, and you see here's the thing and, yeah, never mind. <laughs> and we, lo we love to give to Faith Westwood and the ministries here and the, and the building renovations and the mission work. And if we did not budget, we could not do as much. And, you know, 
I, I'm kind of nerdy this way. I love to see how small a percentage we can actually live on because that means we're more flexible. And flexibility lets us respond to opportunities and emergencies as they arise. So in your bulletin, you're going to find a, a budget template for a little worksheet there. Uh, and if you're brand new to budgeting, then I would encourage you to take this home and play with it, experiment with it, uh, maybe set up your own spreadsheet on a computer. Uh, but I would really encourage you to keep track over the next month of every dollar you spend. Now, and I hope some of you do this better than you did the time tracking thing, okay? <laughs> but I'm not going to ask you next week what to report on. Anyway, but watch where every dollar goes and see what you learn. See what surprises come to you. And another thing I want to say about budgeting is this. Money is a spiritual test. Did you know that? Money is a spiritual test test whether you have a little or a lot God's saying what are you going to do with what I've entrusted to you will you worship money will you chase after it will you let wealth become your security or will you trust in me now the successful businessman in Jesus's story he failed the test God said you fool well he wasn't a fool because he was stupid he was a fool because he kept score about getting more that was his scorecard and some of you may be thinking and seeing a little bit of yourself in that businessman maybe you see a bit of yourself in those a few of those nine statements that we looked at earlier but let me tell you you were made for so much more than that you were made for so much more Jesus said, watch out. Be on your guard. He didn't say that very often. But he said it because he cares about you. Watch out. Be on your guard. The love of money can create all kinds of mayhem in our lives. But Jesus also has some really good news. He loves you. He loves messed up people like us. He'll forgive you, he'll set you free, he'll give you a new start, he'll show you what true wealth is all about. And it begins by putting your life in his hands, putting all that you are and all that you have in his hands. I know some of you here today, you, you admire Jesus. He's a wise man, but you don't know him. You, you come to church, but you're still in charge of your life. And as long as that's the case, I predict that you're going to have a hard time grasping what enough really is. So today can be the beginning to change that. Today can be your new beginning. Today can... Uh, you can let Jesus love you and you can ask him to forgive you and ask him for a new start and, and to, it's a time for you to give him your life and let him be enough. Let his way be enough for you. Let's pray. 
Oh Lord, uh, you know that it's really easy for us to hold on to our blessings with a tight grip and say, it's mine. It's mine. And we keep clawing and scratching and wanting more, never being satisfied. And Lord, that's not, we know that that's a dead end. That's not, it's, it's a trap. It's, it's just a futile way of living. And so, Lord Jesus, we ask that you will lead us into this new way, your way, with you, following you, uh, trusting in you. And right now, if some of you would say, you know, I, I think Jesus has sort of been that person who's been on the edge of my life and not at the center. And I've admired him, but I don't know him. And I want to start over. I want to put him at the center and, and walk with him and, and follow him and get to know him and, and obey him and live that kind of new life. And if that's where you are today, I'm going to ask you to just raise your hand so I can pray for you. Would you raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you. Lord, for those who have raised their hands and those who are wanting to right now, we pray that you will keep your, show them that you are a promise keeper and that you will say, okay, let's start over right now. You don't have to be perfect. I'm with you. We're going to walk together through this. I'm going to show you my ways and uh, you're going to learn from me. So, Lord, thank you for forgiving us of our failures, giving us a new start. Lord, show us, transform us so that we can be the kind of generous person that you are, willing to lay it all down out of our love. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.